Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Light of the East is also funded by a grant from the Koch Foundation. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyal, your host on these hazy, lazy days of summer. Hopefully you're enjoying them. Barbecues, brats, and beer. Brats is a term we use out here in Chicago area because it comes from our Wisconsin friends. You know, bratwurst, you know, when they call them brats out here. Very popular. Brats and beer. And also Polish sausages are real popular here in Chicago, especially from the South Side. But while we are enjoying the summer months and the summer days and the barbecuing, there is at the same time, there has been, we started it a few weeks ago and we got a few more days of it left. There is actually a time of fasting. That's right. Oh, gee, now I'm ruining your fun, huh? Yeah, fasting for the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul, which comes up on June 29th. Now that is celebrated by the church East and West. And because it's a major feast day, because it's the two pillars of the church, the early church, Peter and Paul, because of that, there is always a fasting period that precedes it. And this one has a certain unique quality to it because it comes after the end of the celebration of the Pentecost season or the octave or what we call the post-festive of the Feast of Pentecost. I came across a very good article that talks about this fast of Saints Peter and Paul, and it's from Bishop Thomas Joseph and Peter Schweitzer of the Antiochian Christian Archdiocese of America. And in this article, it says that the Apostles' Fast which is prescribed fasting period of the church, lasting from the day after the Sunday of All Saints to the 29th of June. That Sunday of All Saints, by the way, is a Sunday after Pentecost and in which we celebrate all saints. Prior to Pentecost, we celebrated all souls, those who have deceased and gone on. We're praying for their salvation. But now we pray to and with all the saints of the church, all the saints that ever lived. So it's really an amazing, amazing kind of integration Those deceased, Pentecost, and then those who are saints. So it makes perfect sense. So the article says that it is a sad truth that many neglect this particular fast. That's the so-called Saints Peter and Paul fast. 
They neglect it for a variety of reasons inconsistent with the apostolic and patristic tradition. Prior to reflecting upon the importance of the Apostles' Fast, a review of the ancient history of this particular fast may help us to recognize its integral place in the life of each and every Eastern Christian. So, yes, it does have an integral place. And now I know it's a little hard to focus on fasting during the summer because we're enjoying all kinds of summer fun foods, especially barbecue foods like ribs and brats and so on. But it does come in there nonetheless. And as always, fasting periods are very helpful for us. They're helpful for us physically, spiritually, psychologically. So I'll continue with the article. The fast of the Holy Apostles is very ancient, dating back to the first centuries of Christianity. And we have the testimony of St. Athanasius the Great, St. Ambrose of Milan, St. Leo the Great, and Theodoret of Cyrus regarding this fast. The oldest testimony regarding the Apostles' Fast is given to us by St. Athanasius, and this goes only back to the 4th century. In her diary, the pilgrim Egeria, from the 4th century also, records that on the day following the Feast of Pentecost, a period of fasting began. The Apostolic Constitutions, a work composed no later than the 4th century, prescribes, quote, After the Feast of Pentecost, celebrate one week, then observe a fast. For justice demands rejoicing after the reception of the gifts of God and lasting after the body has been refreshed. Unquote. From the testimonies of the 4th century, we ascertain that in Alexandria, Jerusalem, and Antioch, the fast of the Holy Apostles was connected with Pentecost and not with the feast of the Apostles Peter and Paul on June 29th. See, that's the interesting twist I mentioned earlier, that this is not only a penitential time, it's actually a fast in which we're Basically, being appreciative of the gifts, the sending of the Holy Spirit upon us. So yes, it does have a penitential tone, but it also has a tone of, well, of humility, of a kind of an awesome sense of gratitude. In the first centuries after Pentecost, there was one week of rejoicing, that is a fast-free week, followed by one week of fasting. So, the canons of Nicephorus, Patriarch of Constantinople, and this is in the 9th century, mention the Apostles' Fast. The Typicon of St. Theodore, the Studite of the Monastery of Studios in Constantinople, speaks of the 40 days fast of the Holy Apostles. St. Simeon of Thessalonica explains the purpose of this fast in this manner, quote, The fast of the Apostles is justly established in their honor, for through them we have received numerous benefits and for us, they are examples and teachers of the fast. For one week after the ascent of the Holy Spirit, in accordance with the apostolic constitution composed by Clement, we celebrate, and during the following week, we fast in honor of the apostles, unquote. Now, the spiritual benefit derived from the apostles' fast is great. St. Leo the Great noted that, quote, after the extended Feast of Pentecost, the fast is particularly needed in order to cleanse our mind by ascetic labors and to make us worthy of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, unquote. St. Leo also reminds us, in the apostolic canons inspired by God himself, the church fathers have, at the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, established first and foremost that all virtuous labors begin with fasting. How do you like that? All virtuous labors begin with fasting. Periods of fasting, such as the one upon which we are about to embark, are not exercises in mortification or penance, per se, but the divinely inspired method to gain mastery over the self and conquer the passions of the flesh. Now, you've heard me talk about this before. If you've listened to this program for any length of time, especially during the Lenten season, I always talk about fasting as being mastery over the passions. It's not just penance. It's not just something you sort of 
plow through, and then you're relieved when it's over, you can go back to the things you fasted from. It's about mastery over the passions. Actually, we should say the fallen passions. See, our passions in and of themselves, the passions in and of themselves are good. They really are eros. In other words, our desire for love, for intimacy with God. But they have a fallen side because of original sin. And that's what we say, sins of the passions. Remember, the passions are good in themselves, but they're fallen. They have a fallen side to them, which doesn't make them all bad. It's just the fallen side to them is what we have to be very wary about. That's where we get into sins of the passion. All right, we'll continue with our article. It is to liberate oneself from dependence on the things of this world in order to concentrate on the things of the kingdom of God. There's another perfect example, a well-said comment about the significance of any kind of fasting is to liberate oneself from dependence on things of this world in order to concentrate on things of the kingdom of God. Think of all the things we're dependent upon. You know, all your iPhones. Remember one of the, well, they say he was the inventor, or at least the, the main promoter of them, marketer of them, Steve Jobs. Remember, he is deceased now. He said, when I set out to make and promote this iPhone, I didn't want to invent something or promote something that people felt they actually needed. I wanted them to feel that they could not live without it. Now, that was pretty clever, pretty aggressive marketing. And he got what he wanted. Let's face it, we all think we can't live without our phones. Well, fasting is a way of pulling back from that kind of dependency, no matter what it is. The phones are not bad in themselves. They're marvelous things in themselves, can be used for God in so many good ways. It's the dependency upon things. That's the problem, and that's what fasting helps us to break. All right, I'll continue. It is to give power to the soul so that it would not yield to temptation and sin. That's what fasting is for. According to St. Seraphim of Serov, fasting is an indispensable means of gaining the fruit of the Holy Spirit in one's life. And Jesus himself taught that some forms of evil cannot be conquered without it. Remember that? He told the apostles and they were trying to cure people and they couldn't do it, couldn't drive out demons. And, and Jesus said to them, some of these can only be driven out by prayer and fasting. They always go together. Neglecting the fast is not the only pitfall to be avoided, however. Those who fast may be tempted to judge those who do not fast, thus losing the efficacy of their labors. We should not concern ourselves with what others are doing, but concentrate on our own spiritual life. Fasting periods, particularly the apostles' fast, assist us in avoiding the spiritual pitfalls to which we are so accustomed after the ascetical struggle of the Great Lent and the joyous celebration of Pascha. And that's another important line there. After we've gone through Lent and we've done the, the great rigorous ascetical disciplines of fasting, which hopefully you do, and then we get that joy of Easter, and then following that, the ascension at Pentecost, I mean, everything's great, but it's also a time we can be vulnerable to slipping into a kind of a, a spiritual lethargy or a spiritual sort of mediocrity, kind of let our guard down. So bringing in this fast is actually very wise on the part of the church. The church is always so wise, more wiser than we realize. In fact, it's so wise, we think it's not so wise. That's actually because we don't understand the full breadth and depth of the church's wisdom in these things. The church really knows our spiritual life, the spiritual battle. It knows our body. It knows how we're constructed, how we are hardwired as human beings in every way, physically, psychologically, spiritually. So it's a very clever action on the church to bring in a fast at this time, after all the great, great high seasons of Easter and Lent. 
When we come back, we're going to talk more about this very interesting and probably perhaps surprising fast of Saints Peter and Paul. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $20 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you This is Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione of the Archdiocese of San Francisco, and you are listening to Light of the East. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loyup and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor spelled T-A-B-O-R, life, at earthlink.net. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyo, your host. And we're talking about this kind of surprising fast that you don't really expect or maybe even would want during summer when we're grilling things and meat and so on on the grill, which is fine. It's great. Everybody loves summer, especially in the Midwest when we have long, hard winters. We look so look forward to spring and summer. We just kind of really milk it. But we need a fast at that time. And in turning our attention to the Feast of the Holy Apostles, Peter and Paul, the connection between the Feast of Pentecost, the Apostles' Fast, and the actual Feast of the two preeminent apostles becomes clearer. And again, I'm reading from an article by Bishop Thomas Joseph and Peter Schweitzer from the Antiochian Christian Archdiocese of America. Pentecost 
had a significant place in the life of the apostles, having previously passed through purification of the heart and illumination, something that also existed in the Old Testament in the prophets and the righteous, they then saw the risen Christ. On the day of Pentecost, they became members of the risen body of Christ. This is particularly important because every apostle had to have the risen Christ within him. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit made the disciples members of the theanthropic body of Christ. Theanthropic, that means divine and human body. Whereas at the transfiguration, now, now listen to this. This is a very interesting contrast. At the transfiguration, remember Christ on Mount Tabor transfigured in front of his three disciples, Peter, James, and John? At the transfiguration, the light acted from within the three disciples through glorification, but the body of Christ was outside them. At Pentecost, the disciples are united with Christ. They become members of the theanthropic body, and as members of the body of Christ, they share in the uncreated light. This difference also exists between the Old Testament and Pentecost. In addition, on the day of Pentecost, the disciples attained to all truth. Before his passion, Christ told his disciples, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. So the apostles, they had these experiences of Christ, but it was only after Pentecost, receiving the Holy Spirit, that they gained this wisdom and this presence, the indwelling presence of the Holy Trinity within them. Now, we experience that when we partake of the sacraments of baptism and chrismation, which in the Eastern churches come at the same time, baptism, chrismation, and Eucharist, regardless of age. We receive this presence of God, the very life of the Trinity within us. Amazing. What amazing sacraments. And we receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit that allow us to be good citizens of the kingdom of God on earth, to be Christ-like, to have the wisdom of discernment, of prudence, of knowledge, fortitude, and so on. So what happened to the apostles happens to us. Yes, the very same spirit, the very same gifts. Some people even have the gifts of speaking in tongues like they did. And that comes through the sacraments of the church. The words of Christ are closely linked with the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost with the revelation of the whole truth, which the disciples were unable to bear. They could not receive it earlier without the Holy Spirit. This all-truth revealed on the day of Pentecost to the apostles is the truth of the church as the body of Christ, that the disciples would become members of this risen body, and that in the church they will know the mysteries of the glory and rule of God in the flesh of Christ. On the day of Pentecost, they knew the whole truth. It follows that the complete truth does not exist outside the church. The church has the truth because it is the body of Christ and a community of glorification. And also because it has the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Let me say this again. Again, it's from the article I'm reading. It follows that the complete truth does not exist outside the church. That is true. Many people today think that, well, it's all the same, basically. They're a little different, but it's all the same God, the same religion. One religion just as good as the next. No, that is not true. The complete truth exists only in the church. The Catholic and Orthodox churches have the complete truth because they are the sacramental churches based in the incarnation of God and the belief in the and, and participation in the very life of the Holy Trinity. All of the churches have aspects of the truth. And there can be many very sincere people in these churches, such as the Protestant churches and so on, even non-Christian churches or religions. But what we're saying here is that the 
complete truth exists only in the Catholic and Orthodox churches because they are the sacramentally based churches. Now, the article continues. As the foremost of all the apostles, it is fitting that after the Feast of Pentecost, wherein the apostles received the revelation of truth in its fullness, we commemorate Saints Peter and Paul jointly. As St. Gregory Palamas writes, he was a well-known mystical saint of the Eastern churches from the Middle Ages. He writes in his sermon on the occasion of the saints' feast, this aspect of Peter and Paul. If, as we have said, we commemorate each of the saints in hymns and appropriate songs of praise, how much more would we celebrate the memory of Peter and Paul? If you've ever seen the icon of Saints Peter and Paul, it shows the two of them standing, kind of kind of facing each other. They both have their hand underneath a model of the church. Now, in my church, the mural that I painted on the wall of our church of Peter and Paul, they're holding up a church which looks like our church, looks like my actual church, because they are the pillars of the church, Peter and Paul, the pillars of the original Christian church as it developed in the time just after Christ. They are the fathers and guides of all Christians, apostles, martyrs, holy ascetics, priests, hierarchs, pastors, and teachers. As chief shepherds and master builders of our common godliness and virtue, they tend and teach us all, like lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. Their brightness excels that of the other radiantly pious and virtuous saints, as the sun outshines the stars, or as the heavens which declare the sublime glory of God, transcends the skies. In their order and strength, they are greater than the heavens, more beautiful than the stars, and swifter than both. And as regards what lies beyond the realm of the senses, it is they who reveal things which surpass the very heavens themselves, and indeed the whole universe, and who make them bright with the light in which there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning." Not only do they bring people out of darkness into this wonderful light, but by enlightening them, they make them light, the offspring of the perfect light, that each of them may shine like the sun when the author of light, the God-man and word, appears in glory. So Peter and Paul were huge, as you can hear from this very descriptive paragraph from the article we're reading. Now, on the day of Pentecost, the apostles received the fullness of the revelation of truth because the Lord Christ had prepared them for the advent of the Comforter. We refer to the Spirit as the Comforter. As the preeminent apostles, Saints Peter and Paul were the guardians of that truth which was to be passed on to the faithful. Saint Seraphim of Seraph tells us, quote, The true aim of our Christian life consists of the acquisition of the Holy Spirit of God. As for fasts and vigils and prayer and thanksgiving, and every good deed done for Christ's sake are the only means of acquiring the Holy Spirit of God, unquote. We know from Holy Scripture and tradition that the Holy Spirit does not abide in a vessel that is not being purified. St. Luke of Crimea notes, quote, For could the Holy Spirit possibly abide in an impure heart that is filled with sin? As smoke chases away the bees, as stench repels all people, so does the stench of the human spirit repel the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives only in pure hearts, and only to them does he grant his divine grace, his holy gifts, for he is the treasury of good things, all the true and most precious goods the human heart could possibly possess. Could the impure heart receive them? Could the heart that is sinful and deprived of mercy and love possibly receive the grace of the Holy Spirit? Unquote. Again, that's from St. Luke of Crimea. This is precisely why in her wisdom, the Holy Church offers us the purity of the apostles. The period of the apostles fast, soon and after Pentecost, and just prior to the feats of the holy apostles, Peter and Paul, who were worthy to receive the Holy Spirit. If the aim of the Christian life is the acquisition of the Holy Spirit, 
we must engage in the struggle through fasting and continual prayer. It is only then that we may acquire the Holy Spirit and can properly appreciate and enjoy us in a feast of holy apostles, Peter and Paul. Well, I hope that gives you a little bit of a reason to look forward to this fast, which we actually are immersed in. I didn't have a chance to talk about it previously, but now I do. And since it's coming off on, well, it's going to last for about 10 more days. We can really pour it on. Besides, there's a lot of other great stuff to grill on the grill in the summertime. You can grill shellfish and salmon and fresh caught fish and vegetables, potatoes. There's actually a lot you can do on the grill during summertime. You don't always have to do the burgers and brats. And Maybe the Saints Peter and Paul fast will expand your culinary repertoire for your summer barbecues, if nothing else. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the fast and the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. This is Doug Keck, EWTN President and Chief Operating Officer. This is Bishop Ferdinand Cherie, Auxiliary Bishop of New Orleans. This is Jerry Usher, co-host of Take Two with Jerry and Debbie. Thanks for listening to the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.